This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, our twice weekly show on a Tuesday and a Friday. Today I'm joined by Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast. I was trying basically to do, I was thinking in my head, should I go for a really speedy, accelerated intro <laughs> to emulate your fine self? And I thought I was doing it. I remember I was I was in the bathroom in the mirror looking at myself going, can I, can I do this? Like, hello and welcome to, no, I just can't. So we've gone with this one. How was it? Was it a fine, slow, normal? <laughs> it was like a professional hosting job. Yeah, I mean, the, the key, look, yeah. Tom, it's very simple. If you If you want to speak at a speed, that nobody can understand, do what mm. I do, which is listen to all your podcasts on 1.5x for about three months. Yes. And then uh, you'll just start talking that way naturally. So that's what's happened to me. Have you noticed that on WhatsApp, you can now change the speed of voice yeah. messages? Um, yeah. And something that uh, some friends of us, I mean, this shows you how sad lockdown has been for people, but sending different voice notes, not even words, just specific noises that sound funnier at times to speed. That's, that's the theme of our lockdown. See, here's what I do. I So Clive is on our podcast and he's got this beautiful, rich baritone mm. uh, that I'm terribly jealous of. So whenever he sends a voice message in our WhatsApp, I just play it at 2x and it sounds really um, like high pitched and squeaky. And then I can say, to yeah. him, well, you're not you're not so special anymore, are you? Any way to make fun of Clive is, is great. It's, I mean, it's just the only way to move forward. No, but thank you so much for taking the time out of your, well, morning. I assume it is still morning over there. Um, Hence the coffee. Yeah, I'm yes, not nursing a yes. hangover. It's still 10 a.m. here. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time out of your morning to jump on and have a chat about the, the topic that we all love, um, that is obviously Arsenal transfers. Uh, I've just finished. I've got about 10 minutes left to listen of your 100-minute uh, podcast talking Manifesto. about things. Yes, well, people were very excited when I saw seeing that you'd uploaded 100 minutes. Um, so I've tuned in for the most. And basically, there's, there's going to be interesting stuff, I think, to do with Ben White, which a couple of people have already picked up on in, in the reply to some of the tweets, um, which we'll come on to in a bit. But I actually want to start off by talking about something a little bit fun, um, which is ITKs. Um, are, you, are you aware of, I'm sure you are aware of the term ITK. Um, yeah. 
But we've been doing something funny on, on TGT where the rankings. I tried. I love it. Yes. Have you seen it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, <awesome. laughs> um, where, yeah. And I mean, the ratings mean absolutely nothing. Like a five out of 10 and a 10 out of 10, I want it to mean absolutely nothing. But I want to know if there's been anything that's really stuck in your mind of all of the craziness so far, even this early in the window, what has stuck out for you as the, the silliest ITK thing you've seen so far? So it's interesting, right? Because I tend not to follow a, a lot of ITKs. I, I sort of have a tier mm. in my mind of Clever. people that I'm willing to to follow. <laughs> yeah. and, and if they're not called the bell, then I'm just not following them, frankly. Mm. Um, other inanimate <laughs> musical objects or... Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, so for me, the most upsetting transfer rumor is not so much that it came from a silly ITK. It's that it's 20 million for Ramsdale. Um, right. And, and so I don't Which know. Which could be true. That, well, that's the problem. <laughs> the problem with Arsenal, right, is the stuff that, that you think, yeah. oh, well, that's silly nonsense. Actually, you know, is mm. it is it really though? So yeah, that, that's the one that's upset me the most. Whether or not it has any truth to it is another story. Yeah, it upset a lot of people. Uh, you're not <laughs> alone um, in that. And I mean, it's, What's funny is, though, is that, and I think you, you picked up on this uh, during the podcast, if I remember rightly, that that's kind of been a bit of an outlier in some encouraging signs from the links that we've seen so far in this transfer window. I mean, I remember back to 2020, and we were in Willian territory right now a year ago, and getting trying to basically my shows all revolved around trying to justify it, try to make it seem like this is the right thing mm. to do, um, which turned out very much to be not the case. We but went another you, direction, Tom. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can imagine. Um, are you encouraged, though, to see links? I mean, we can come on to the whole action speak louder than words fiasco, but are you encouraged by the links that you're seeing at this stage of time? So I, I think I'm encouraged by certain aspects of them, right? Like if you look at what we're looking to do, I think at, at a minimum, the quality of the players largely looks good. The mm. age range of the players largely looks good. Where, you know, I haven't seen at least not yet, a Chelsea 30-year-old cast-off linked. So that's a good sign. Like, I'm sure we'll get into the Ben White thing and why mm. it's not a signing I want us to do. But in terms of his age and his quality, it's certainly not uh, in any way related to him not being a good player. He is clearly a good player. I think links to James Madison, again, is he the right signing for us? Can be debated. Is he a good player at a good age who fills a need? Absolutely. Onana, a link that shows a cleverness, a willingness to exploit maybe some some vulnerability in the market uh, in, in France. And I think that's that's what we've wanted to see is that Arsenal can be savvy, that Arsenal can not only just add the obvious names at the big prices that everybody knows about, but can also find values that help us stretch our resources because there's a lot to be done. And unless you think that Stan Kroenke has suddenly decided to spend like Sheikh Mansour, which I'm not prepared to believe, um, mm. then I think we need to be careful how we allocate those resources. And there seems to be at least some, I think, movement towards a, a slightly more sophisticated approach to doing it. And that's encouraging. And do you think seeing the links to, say, someone like a Lakonga, mm -hmm. uh, who looks to be the most likely maybe for us to get done uh, at the start of the window, because that really does encourage me. And like that, 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 that type of signing, that sell-on value type of signing with a lot of potential surrounding him, rather than going for the Williams, the Louises of this world, the Cedrics, for instance. But that type of signing feels me of, okay, right, they've seen the goodness that's come from Martinelli and from Tierney and from Gabriel and and gone, this works. And so clearly targeting similar highly rated young guys that have the potential to be first team players with the characteristic of leadership, which he seemingly has too, is a light bulb moment in a sense for them. 
Yeah, it's it's really great, right? Because you're buying a player that looks like he's got a big ceiling, that is a, at a good age to develop and improve, who has some of the same kind of playing qualities as Thomas Party. So you're developing a sort of succession plan, right? With Party being in the middle of his prime and Lakanga being, you know, you know, uh, five six years ahead of that. I think it's it's also interesting because, you know, when you look at what we have done in terms of building out our squad, I, I think. I'm not someone who thinks you should prioritize your squad in the transfer market. I think you should prioritize your first 11, and your squad winds up being first 11 players who maybe lose out in a battle for their position, or your squad yeah. winds up being academy guys. But in Lakanga, you have someone who can play when Party's not playing. He's ready now. He will develop to eventually probably be the heir apparent for Thomas Party. And when you look at sort of midfield, I don't think midfield is a place where you can just have two or three starters. That needs to be more of a, a core of players that can come in. And upgrading from that core being El Neni, Ceballos, and I mean, really no one. Um, you know, I, I think that's important. And we have lacked that ball carrying, that progressive carrying, that that slightly more dynamic profile in midfield. Uh, whether you love Shaka or you don't, whether you you have more um, appreciation for El Neni than I do. They're not dynamic. They can't carry the ball forward. They're not going to go past a defender or a marker like Party will. Lakanga will do that. So I think it is a smart move. And, you know, the kind that we just haven't seen a lot of, frankly. So, I, yeah, I think it's encouraging. Do you love Xhaka? Like, do, are you, is this going to be a, a difficult goodbye for you when he does eventually go? No, I, I think Grant Xhaka is exactly what Arsenal have been. Sure. Good at some things, flawed in ways that really hurt us, not good Describing enough my podcast. To, uh. <laughs> hey i mean it's, know thyself right this above all um i think i, I think it, he is an emblematic in a way of of where we've gone which is to a, a level of player who flatters to deceive he he can reach some really elite moments with some aspects of his game but the game isn't well-rounded enough and doesn't contain enough of the qualities we need to take that step up and and i I think it's challenging with Granit Xhaka because he's played in a deteriorating Arsenal team. We've never finished top four since he's been here. I don't think that's his fault per se. Yeah. Um, he has kind of thankfully eliminated a lot of those sort of brain dead error moments that that really, I think, typified his early Arsenal career, made him hard to warm to. Um, I think he's a player who is simultaneously probably too maligned in that he is a very good player at certain things, but also has never been good enough to be our first choice anchor of the midfield and and in a way this is an analogy that'll annoy people because i'm going to mention a beloved player but he he reminds me of olivier Giroud in a way he he is a good player who we should appreciate but who was probably never good enough to be the first name on a team sheet Giroud again good striker good servant for arsenal we needed we needed an Aubameyang during that period. We needed a Van Persie and we had Giroud. So I, I think Shaka is in that same bracket. A, a player with some elite skill, but ultimately it's his it's his flaws, it's his weaknesses that held us back too much. I look at Grant Xhaka and I, I I see the kind of the metaphor that you were coming up with there about how he does epitomize kind of what has gone previously, the flaws, the positive points and and maybe an over-reliance on players that we should really have upgraded upon a long time ago. And moving in the replacement, which I don't actually see, I'm, and I'm sure plenty of other people don't too, is I don't see Lakonga as his replacement. I saw Lakonga as basically just a good signing, a step in the right direction, effectively, a, a weirdly, a Danny Ceballos kind of depth replacement at this moment in time for him to then develop into that player. So with him going, it, it begs kind of the question, 
who uh, Arsenal then go for mm. to be that more prime player in the Arsenal squad. And there is a lot. I use this word a lot, a lot on the show, I suppose. But I use the word obsession surrounding specifically the player Basuma. Um, <laughs> I feel like there is a bit of a kind of a, a real obsession around the guy that if any other link comes to the fore, any link to anyone else, it could be Luka Modric in his prime, I feel, at this stage. And it would be like, no, he's not Basuma. But <laughs> for who? Who is your crux who is your midfield guy that you want to see us go for well the thing that's hard right is i think we have an inferiority complex right now about who we could get Mm. right i mean would i like camavinga you bet i would you know what i mean like but is that realistic probably not would i like manuel locatelli you bet i would is that realistic again probably not um i think ruben neves is a player we're linked with who i have tried to warm to and i can't quite get there because I think, again, we'd be doing kind of what we had with Shaka, which is getting a very nice serviceable player who probably isn't at the level where we would like to be headed. Now, the one thing I will say about Neves is he was a player that everybody rated. I mean, he was a player on everyone's radar whose stock has dropped a bit, and maybe Mm. you'd be getting a distressed asset, and we still think that player is in there, and he's played for Nuno, who's got a very specific conservative system, and maybe that's held him back. So that could be an interesting one not one that I'm as excited about. The thing with Basuma though is, Basuma would be the guy who cleans up for Thomas Party, right? So you would definitely yeah. be saying then Party can get a little more advanced. I actually think that's good. I don't think Thomas Party is someone who should be playing a Conte type role, you know, a destroyer, a guy who cleans up. Basuma, he, he's gonna tackle like mad, he's going to, you know, cover a lot of ground defensively and he's gonna carry the ball forward and then give it to the guys who have to bring it into the final third and that would be Thomas Party. I, I think there's probably a bit of projection with Basuma on just how good he is, and some of that I wonder how much is based on just the performance he put in that last day of the season, where <laughs> despite you know Arsenal being much better, he was real good. Yeah, it was a good audition. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is the trick, right? If you're telling me we can get a Camavinga, we can get a Locatelli, we can get someone like that, then yeah, that's the level I want. If you're telling me we're going for Ruben Neves level, then I'd like to see us get a little more creative. And I, I probably would be open to to like a Basuma and and free Thomas Party, let him go be a, a little bit more progressive. It's interesting when you talk about allowing Partey to be free and kind of the player that will let him do that. Before we move on, I just I threw it into the chat box to see what you guys are saying who are joining us live. Thank you so much for joining us live, everyone. If you could drop a like on the video and give, of course, Elliot a follow on Twitter. You can find him at Yankee Gunner, as always. Um, I, I have to correct you. You have to block me on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I am a terrible yes. follow. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's the amount of times that I, I just block people for no reason these days is... Yeah. Sensible. It's the only way to make your, make your life work. I do. I find that... I, and I think it's because I've got two accounts because I've got my personal account and then the the, the podcast account. Mm. I've I've blocked a few people over the last month for just replies that, to be honest, any basically anyone who's not an Arsenal fan and isn't highly strong 90% of their life would be like, you know, just move it past, but don't block. <laughs> <laughs> and I get a DM about a week later go, why did you block me? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's my life now. Um, in the chapels, though, uh, John uh, says Basuma or Kamavinga, which is who we would like. Uh, Brad says uh, Partey. A says Sabitzer has a year left on his prime. Sabitzer is an interesting one from Leipzig because he's obviously played in a more reserved position this season. He's kind of moved from that attacking midfield role to that kind of number eight role, which is the position that we want. And he made England look a little bit silly as well in the friendly before the Euros, I thought, and was arguably the best player on the pitch. But he's 27. And I know that's not old, speaking as a 26-year-old, I'm biased. Um, 
but it's it's a weird age to sign someone I feel next to Thomas Partey because you've then got two players kind of aging at the same rate as is time that's how it works um and obviously you would then expect them to move on at similar times do you think it's important that Arsenal target kind of a younger age a profile of player I, I have been lampooned for my takes on the age cliff and age curves and when to buy players. I want to be clear, 27 is a very good age. It is the heart of a player's prime. The question is, where are we in our process of trying to get back? The goal isn't just to be a top four team. The goal is to win the league, get in the Champions mm. League, win that too. And people would have been laughing at Liverpool saying they were going to do that again, you know, just a decade ago. And, and here we are. So I think it is something Arsenal can do and something Arsenal should do. So the question is, what are the stages to get there? If you have a 28-year-old party and a 27, 28-year-old Sabitzer in midfield, you're, you are really built for your midfield to take you where you want to go right now, right? In the yeah. next season or two. <clears throat> we would need a really solid succession plan behind that because I think you look at having two years at the top. Here's the other problem, right? And this goes back to not really knowing how, many, how much resources we have. Is Stan going to suddenly open this war chest? Or, you know, is he going to leverage the club with hmm. debt? But... If we do have limited resources, the danger is this. Let's say we get Sabitzer and Party, right? And we're pretty good. And we, we get to fifth this season. And next season, we even get to fourth. And then Party and Sabitzer are now 30. And they're, they're starting to, to go. We need to replace them. Yeah. But there's not a big market for them at that point, right? Now, you're taking a loss on selling either of them. How do you get the resources to rebuild that midfield? And that's why sell-on value matters, just because... A Sabitzer party midfield takes us up for a couple of seasons. What do we do after that? Well, those players, you know, look, look at Granit Xhaka, for example. What are we going to get for him right now? 15 million? You know, maybe? So I, I think mm. it's not that it's a bad idea or that we'd be bad with it. It's a question of, is it almost peaking too soon? Does it create a midfield that's built to win right now? And then we don't have a plan behind it in a couple of seasons when we need to move on from them. I, I wouldn't like hate it. I just think that's something you have to think about. Yeah, I think it is important to consider, especially the, the type of position that you sign certain ages in. And when you've got, say, a Lukonga coming in at 21, is it right to sign another player that's one or two years older? Older, Because then you've got that maybe lack of experience. I think Arsenal in general are lacking in experience. Or maybe they're not because we've had players come in like David Luiz. You wouldn't say they've been transformative figures. We've had players like Thomas Partey, who we've already talked about, was 27 when he joined and a mixed impact because of injuries and we've had players like Willian coming very experienced as you would describe but not had that right impact how much value do you put in the balance of experience in the squad so what I would say is experience is absolutely a thing and predictable quality is absolutely a thing and we probably overrate it right it can be true mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with the two things can be true it can be true <laughs> that experience matters and also true that we tend to overrate it. And I think a great example of that is the Saliba-Ben White situation we can come on to because I think Ben White has a bit more experience than Saliba. And yet, yeah. I think it could be true that Saliba is the better player and we should just give him his chance. Um, buying from the Premier League and buying experienced players are both things that can deliver immediate dividends if you're actually getting the player you want, right? Um, I didn't want Willian, period, at that age, on that wage, with what he provides, with what we had in the squad. Arteta so he, did, though. He that, did, and it was yeah. it was the wrong yeah. it was the wrong move. I think, you know, I try to look at teams that I think are smart and build well, and how they get there, like a Leicester, like a Liverpool, and I think that an experienced senior leader type player can be a good last piece to kind of glue the whole thing together. I'm not sure it's a great 
early stage piece because all it really does is block the path of players you need to get through. I mean, we spent, what, 13 games last season starting Willian, which were games that, you know, we we know the players that could have gotten starts during that period, right? I mean, t- yeah. uh, uh, Nicola Pepe comes to mind as, as one of them and not the only one. So I just think in general, there's a lot of things that we value that I'm not saying don't matter. I just think they matter a little bit less than we tend to value them. And I think experience in the Premier League and experience, period, like age, are two things that we overvalue. And look, I'm someone who, one of my favorite Arsenal players, don't hate me, is Cesc Fabregas. <laughs> he came in and was the best midfielder in the Premier League at 17, 18, 19 years old. So if you're good enough, you're old enough is the saying. And I think that's absolutely the case. Look at Zach. He came look back at, at 27 and did the same. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, he was just good. Just be, it turns yes. out being good is, is the secret to football. Mm, yeah, maybe we should sign some good, good players. Good players. That, yep. that might be the, the way. We've been going wrong this whole time. Not what were we good thinking? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I disagree slightly on the Premier League side. I completely am with you on the experience is something. And I've brought it up on, on the podcast and the people in the chat box will moan at the facts that you've doubled down on my side because they, they do tend to argue with me about that. And I do think experience is an overrated quality. And that usually comes into the manager argument more than anything else. But in regards to players... I do think Arsenal have been going wrong. I agree with Clive and what he said on your show as well about... Arsenal have not done enough to sign players in their prime from within the Premier League. And if you look at your Man Cities, you look at your Man United's, your Chelsea's, they go out and they sign top quality players from other Premier League sides and it helps them to succeed. And Arsenal haven't done that. Our Premier League players that we signs are your surplus. They're your Cedrics who can't get in at Southampton. They're your David Luiz, your cast off from Chelsea, your Welbeck that can't get into Man United. And I just feel that maybe if Arsenal were to go out and go and get players that are peaking or approaching their peak or developing and and looking like real prospects from other Premier League sides and even our rivals in the case of maybe Ruben Neves. I know it sounds silly to say Wolves is a rival, but they want to be in that top six. Like, it sounds really sad, but I I hate talking about how I look at it realistically in that we are trying to get back right now into the top six and Wolves are and Everton are and Aston Villa are and that's why Aston Villa are trying to piss us off with these Demille Smith row bids because they're positioning themselves to try and be, as Clive put it, the lion for the we are being the deer that's fallen away from the pack kind of situation. And I feel like we do need to push for more top quality Premier League players, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, but there's... So Premier League experience can be good because, look, we have all this data now, and data is driving a lot of how we examine players. Some people would argue too much. Some people would argue it's not understood enough. Wherever you come down on it, having the data is helpful. You know, a lot of people say, oh, stats don't mean anything. I mean, the score of the game is a stat. If I say we won two to one, that's a stat, right? I mean, you know, the speedometer on your car is a stat. It's telling you how fast you're driving. Otherwise, Mm. you'd just have to guess. Like... So stats are useful as long as you use them intelligently. But if you look at like how a Liverpool have bought in the Premier League, Sadio Mane, very mm-hmm. effective signing. They found a player that was probably slightly undervalued in the market who had data that was interesting to them. He came in and became a star. Diogo Jota. Jota looked like a classic Liverpool signing last window. His, his underlying mm-hmm. metrics were good. People didn't know a ton about him at Wolves. And he comes in and he looks like a star. You know, injury disrupts his season a bit. Now, they haven't always gotten that right. I mean, they paid a lot of money for a kid named Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. That didn't work out so great. But mm-hmm. so I think you can buy from the Premier League and get a little more of the reliability that the, the performances you've seen are going to transfer. But you don't have to do it by buying the most obvious expensive player in the Premier League. And frankly, sometimes you want to buy the most obvious expensive player in the Premier League, but 
you know, Harry Kane might go to City for 100 million. Jack Grealish mm. might go, you know, somewhere for 80, 90 million. And we're probably also not. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Super. Yeah. yeah. And and Holland's going to Chelsea. And yeah, we're going to win a mm. league sometime soon, I promise. Um, it's just, you see what I'm saying, right? Like, I, I'm not no. opposed to going within the league. I think the question is, you should still try, if you can, to find inefficiencies in the market, right? Like, if we could buy Holland and Mbappe and Grealish, you know, g- great. Okay, that's easy mm. to do. If you can't do that, then you say, how can we take these resources and stretch them further? Where are the inefficiencies? Well, right now, we know there's a lot in France because they're broke. They got to mm. sell. We know the continent is broke, basically, period, and, and there's a lot of value there. If you're going to buy in the Premier League and you see someone like Ben White at $50 million, and you say, that's a lot of money. Um, for right-sided center back and a back three who was playing, you know, with League Two football three seasons ago. So then you say, is that value? Are we exploiting an inefficiency there or are we paying a huge premium? And that's all it is, Tom, is that like, I love the idea of going and getting some Premier League talent that we have reliable performance from. But the funny thing is, some of our worst buys or our worst acquisitions have come from the Premier League. You know, mm-hmm. I, the big argument, when I was against the Williams signing, the big argument I heard was he's... He's an experienced guy who we know exactly what he is. We know what we're going to get from him. And we didn't. We didn't. We got, you know, nothing from him. So, yeah. uh, you know, I guess, I guess all I'm saying is that if we're going to buy in the Premier League, I, I think that can be a very smart move if you can try to exploit some inefficiencies there rather than paying, you know, full fare on every player you get. Let me ask, a, I don't know if it's a difficult question, but maybe a weird question. You you, you mentioned Ben White, so it's a, it's a good segue. Why should I care that he costs £50 million? Like, That's a great I, question. I, I love this I, question. I, I talk about this a lot. White, it's not my money, um, yeah. and we don't know the budget. And just because we maybe go and sign Ben White for £50 million is no guarantee that Arsenal then can't go and get other targets. I know that history should tell me that Arsenal tend not to spend what I would like them to every summer, but why should I care that Ben White costs us £50 million? Anytime you talk about squad building, it's a multivariable equation, and there's multiple Mm. things we don't know, and then we're basing our opinion off the things we don't know. I want to be clear about something, because this is is the whole thing, Tom. Be a fan however you want to be a fan. Like, I talk about football the way that I find enjoyable, and it doesn't mean it's the right way. So if your attitude is... I want us to sign expensive, good players. I'm not about mm. all this resource allocation stuff. I want us to sign, like, there's yeah. no wrong way to be a fan. If you're like, I hate stats. I don't want to look at them. The great thing about the internet is you don't That's have to funny. look at the pages you don't want to, although I tend <laughs> yeah. to go to them anyway. Um, yeah. the, the point is like, no, there is no wrong way to be a fan. But I think if you want to evaluate whether the club is being smart about building a winner, the thing you first have to acknowledge is Arsenal Football Club shouldn't be eighth. They certainly shouldn't be eighth in consecutive seasons. And you don't get there by doing everything right. You get there because you've made some big mistakes. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, well, right. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, it can only get worse. Right. So, so what I would say is we've made mistakes. And, and no. to not acknowledge that a lot of those mistakes have been chasing bad value, you know, buying strikers in consecutive windows, buying players who were obvious choices and passed their prime and weren't worth what we paid. Like, so we have to stop doing that. And so then the question becomes, why do we care if Ben White is 50 million? Well, let me answer that very simply. If we're going to spend 500 million pounds this summer, I don't care that we're buying Ben White. He's a good player. Go get him. Yeah. If we have a limited amount of money to try to fix the mess we're in, my opinion is that 50 million pounds on center back is inefficient because I think if we put that 50 million pounds somewhere else, it can do more for us to move us up the table. 
That's mm. my opinion. It's not because Ben White isn't good. It's not because Ben White... Like, here's all I'm saying. Saliba holding Marie Chambers and Gabriel, right? Th that's sure. the center back core. The question is, is adding Ben White to that core a 50 million pound improvement on the squad? My view is no. My view is I'd roll mm. the dice on that core knowing that, you know, it might be a little uneven, but that we had a pretty good defense last season. And I'd try to take that central midfield option. And instead of it being Ruben Neves, maybe it becomes Camavinga. Or instead of trying to make Callum Chambers our right back this season, we go and get a, a Lamptey or a Max Aarons, who you just, I don't know the right back market that well, but whoever you yeah, want yeah. it to be. You see my point, Tom, which is it's not that Ben White is bad. It's not that Ben White doesn't make us better. It's that I don't think he makes us as better as where 50 million pounds could go at midfield or right back or attacking midfield. And so that that's my principal argument, that we can use it better, roll the dice on the center backs we have, and I think we can build a, a more exciting, effective team that way. And the thing is, is that I agree in that I agree that fifty million pounds on the midfield is is my priority, and and because that for me is is the real big area of Arsenal's team when you compare it to all of our top six rivals, the, the teams that we are wanting to close the gap and overtake and get towards. That for me is the biggest area of the pitch that we fall down in. Um, mm. I feel like that we can hold our own a bit with the forward line. Bamiang is a is, is a top quality forward. He didn't have the best of seasons. Lacazette. Has, has shown to be a goal scorer for us and was our top goal scorer last season. Um, and I agreed with what you said, and it's something that I've said on the pod before by saying that I don't think we should have signed a Bamiyang either after signing Lacazette. Signing two strikers for 50-odd million quid when you only play with one doesn't make too much sense. Um, <laughs> we've got an ex amazing, exciting couple of youngsters in Saka and Martinelli coming through. You've got Pepe, who, whilst I don't think is a £72 million player, I think he's a, a 30 plus million pound player that has the potential to get to that level and has shown to be that level on occasions. It's it's about that midfield and how we connect the ball from our defensive third to the attacking third. And that's what we failed to do. And I really thought Thomas Partey was going to be a big thing for us in that in that middle. And I think that obviously the injuries really hurt us and him at the start of the season. And I do feel if he was fit the whole season, I don't think we would genuinely have finished eighth. I do believe he would have had enough of an impact to, to put us in a better position. Because when you think about it, the difference between where we finished and fourth, ironically, was still quite small. And that how we performed at the start of the season was horrific. And then him coming back into the team and we find ourselves second in the form table. So it's crazy, all the metrics. And I know there's a lot of mitigating circumstances for all of that. I think we could both agree, Tom, though, that to make up the ground, we need more goals, more chances, more shots, more goals, right? Yes. So like, and, and I agree with you, passing out from the back matters. I mean, I would just point to the fact that Saliba is one of the top three or four passers in league on full stop. So that's not me, it's convinced on him. No, I know. <laughs> it's well, all, it's all let, set me, let, let me just yeah. say one thing about the Saliba thing, right? Mm. I tell you, there are two center backs at 19 years old. One of them is playing for Newport County in league two. At 19 years old, the other one is shortlisted for Team of the Season and Golden Boy Award. Yeah. And I say, which one of those players do you want long-term? Do you believe will be the guy to own long-term? Well, obviously, the second one is Saliba. I mean, yeah. this is... So, yes, Ben White just played for Brighton this past season. Prior to that, he was at Peterborough and Newport. Now, I'm not saying he's not a good player. I want to be clear, I'm not saying that. But if you just want to go on the pedigree and the talent and project what Saliba could be based on what he's doing right now. And oh, by the way, all you have to do is look at Leicester and what happened with Fofana last season and say, it's not out of the question that a guy from League One at that age can come in and be good and start for you and not be a liability. And a lot of people rate Saliba a lot higher than Fofana. So 
again, I, I want to make it clear. I don't know if Saliba's going to be great. I think he's got the talent for it. The scouting, the people that scout him say he, he could be. I just don't know that Ben White is 50 million pounds better than him. And so this debate becomes pretty tedious because I'm saying something that's actually kind of boring, which is just, I like Ben White. He seems good. Let's spend yeah. the money somewhere else. That's really the yeah. crux of my argument. Yeah, and, I, it's, and it's a solid one at that. I I look at the defensive area and I go, I look at Man City's, I look at Chelsea's, I look mm-hmm. at Man United's, I look at even Spurs at times um, and go, there is a quality throughout it. And even though they're playing European football and we won't be next season, I feel like there's an almost in my head of going, I know that we need to improve the midfield as my main priority and it is. If there is an opportunity to be ruthless with the squads, to improve the squads, I would. And honestly, when I first heard Ben White's name, even though my, my opinion has shifted in the weeks since that first ever link, it was a case of, really? <laughs> really? Like, and that was my initial reaction to it. Yeah. Since, obviously, I've, I've done the tactical You've warmed breakdown to it, shows yeah. on him. I've, <laughs> I've warmed to it. I've, I've spoken to people. I've watched a bit of him. I, Jeremy Smith, of course, who's a Brighton fan, a big French football expert, so he was able to come on the show and actually do a comparison directly between yeah, him and Saliba of what yeah. he's watched. And and he feels, and his opinion was, is that he doesn't see why you would spend £50 million when you've got someone as good as Saliba. And he did point out he's very biased towards French football, but the Saliba situation is, is really, really frustrating. It's a really irritating position to be in because... I do believe he could be a top, top talent. It's just there's there's no, uh, not no evidence, but there's no tangible evidence from an Arsenal perspective at the moment because we've only ever seen him in Liga. I've only ever seen him play for the under-23s where the context is that he couldn't give a toss, really, playing for the under-23s. Um, and so it's a really frustrating situation for, for us as fans because it's a complete unknown of what he could do for Arsenal. But... So is Ben White, and any other player is an unknown from that perspective. But we have Saliba, and so I get your point. Why not give him a go? But I also would argue that if there's a chance to be ruthless and improve the squad, and if that means selling Rob Holding, who we've just given a new contract to, so be it for someone who is described to me as someone in Ben White who does have genuine world-class potential in him, and that's maybe why he's at the European Championships of England as well this summer. Let me it's, let me phrase it just a little differently real quick. Let's say we don't own Saliba right now. Yeah, yeah. And all we, we just heard we're linked to him. Mm. And we saw that he's, you know, shortlisted for the Golden Boy and Team of the Season in France and really highly rated and all the things that we hear said about him. Mm. And they said, Arsenal are trying to decide between buying Ben White for 50 million pounds or a free transfer for Saliba. We'd be like, Get the, get the good guy for free. <laughs> get, get the free guy, right? Well, like, I would say go get both. Go, all right, or go, yeah, fair, fair. But so yeah. I, I think that's just kind of how I see it. I, I want to be mm. clear, though, because I think that this is where this breaks down, right? We don't know, but Ben White has been playing as a, a center back in a three. Yeah. I kind of hope that's not where we're headed, but I mean, maybe it is. I, I think there has sort of become this binary of Ben White is a sure thing and Saliba is a risk. And I think that is also a little bit off. I don't think Ben White is a sure thing coming from Brighton, playing in a three, not having a lot of experience at the top level. You know, is he more of a sure thing than Saliba? I mean, at his age, having played in the Premier League, probably. But, you know, I think there are differences. If he's going to go from a three to a two, you know, stepping up to Arsenal and, and, you know, how we might want to defend a little higher up the pitch, whatever the case may be. Again, not knocking the player. I just think the presumption that somehow... He's a sure thing, but but Saliba isn't. I, I don't think that binary holds up. 
No, and that's fair enough. And I think that is there. I mean, is there any player that's ever a sure thing? And the answer is probably no. Every every transfer, yeah, mate. Well, yes, of course. And they're out with not within our reach, no, unfortunately. <laughs> um, let's let's move kind of the, the conversation on to to the, the, the striking area, which is a weird position because, as we've already talked about, we've we've already spent 110 million quid on two strikers that we arguably shouldn't have spent 110 million on because we only needed one of them. Um, and have either of them really progressed us on from Olivier Giroud? Probably not. In fact, we've gone backwards since we sold Olivier Giroud. So it, when it come, when you see us being linked to strikers, whilst I don't think it's anywhere close to the top of Arsenal's priority on their list, the links that we're seeing, we've seen today, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been linked to the Telegraph. Uh, Andre Silva from Frankfurt has been linked as well. Two, um, two very good players. <laughs> yes. And then there's Alexander Izak as well that was also linked to. How do you see the striking situation? And how important do you think it is to Arsenal's plans this specific summer? I think as soon as we can get a striker we love at a price we can afford, we should do it because it's the mm. most important position in football. Lacazette should be sold, in my view. And Aubameyang should not have been given the contract, but he was. But we know where he is. I mean, he's he's someone who, in a year's time, we're probably going to be trying to see if we can buy out the rest of that contract or you know, he's going to be chipping in 12 goals a season and maybe not the starter. So the need is more urgent than it looks right now if Lacazette is sold as he should be and Aubameyang continues to age th the way maybe he is. Um, I, I think what complicates it is we have this guy, Balogun. We know nothing about... Let's not pretend we know anything about Balogun. Like, we think he's probably good. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't think you can plan around that working out. Um, and at his age, there's still a lot of time on our side. The one that's interesting to me is Martinelli. I'm a Martinelli truther. I think he might be the best player we own right now. I I mean, if you like data, if you don't like data, mute mute the device. I love you know, still, still like and subscribe. <laughs> um, but like, yeah. and it's small sample size with Martinelli, but his data is literally among the best you will see anywhere full stop. It's the best mm. in our team. I mean, he leads us in expected goals. He leads us in expected assists. He leads us in shots per 90. He's up there for dribbles. He's up there for penalty box touches. He's up there for carries into the penalty box. He's up there for pressures. I mean, he's... He's a special, special player. And I think he could be in that Kun Aguero mold of the kind of guy who can actually become a striker. That's a lot of projection, and we don't know that. So if the club believes that Martinelli's future is as a left winger, and maybe sometimes playing up front, and Aubameyang's going to go in the not-too-distant future and Lacazette's going this summer, I do think striker is urgent because it is the most important position in football. While I think we can cobble together the, a back two, you know, center of a center-back duo from the four that we have, I don't think you can get anywhere cobbling together, you know, what your strike force is going to be. And we're already shy on goals. So if you can get an Andre Silva, if you can get a Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I just think you just do it and you make it work right now. Now, that's a little different from the Lacazette-Obamiang situation, right? Because at that time, we were getting a guy entering his prime, spending a lot of money on the same position we already had solved. Ideally, I'd like us going and getting Andre Silva this season, this summer, or, or Dominic Calvert-Lewin, having seen Obamiang's contract expire. And they'd yeah. be coming in to be our starter this season with Martinelli and Balogun in reserve. We didn't do that move. We could debate that another time. But so, yes, yeah. I guess what I would say is for positions important as striker, where all we're going to have left is a converted left winger in Martinelli, an academy kid in Balogun, maybe no Lacazette, and an aging Aubameyang, it's probably more urgent than it looks initially. I think that I love the Martinelli link. I, I, his stats are unbelievable. I... 
I weirdly still do see him as kind of the wide forward than the out and out number nine right now. I, I don't like think that's weird. I think off. that's the sort of the more common view. Tom. Yeah, I'm you. such a sheep. <laughs> no, I mean I, you're probably right. Is my point. I, I'm I'm sort of projecting yeah, something no. that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. I like him coming off the left. I like his crossing. I, I like how he links the play on the left-hand side. And, and I think he's got a left foot as well. Um, not just, I don't think he is solely right foot. And I think he will develop that left foot a lot. And I think he's got the clearly the, uh, what's the right word? The, the application to mm-hmm. continually train every single day on every aspect of his game to improve. I also see him rather sadly as probably one of the players that we may lose in the next five years. We um, cannot afford to have that happen. That, I know. that would be a disaster. That's how I predict it. I, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I, I would predict him to be one of the players that a big club one day, if Arsenal haven't yet been able to succeed in their plan to close that gap and rejoin that top core of clubs, that he will go, that he will be one of those players. It's one of the biggest challenges for Arteta Tom this season is that with no Europe, he has to find a lot of playing time for Martinelli Mm. And that's a fairly crowded area of the pitch already. But he's he is a guy who has to be given playing time because he has no real connection to the club specifically. He is a guy that's highly rated in the wider world of football. If we don't find a way to integrate him effectively, we're going to lose him and probably lose him for a lot less than what, you know, that could be a, a Serge Gnabry type situation. Now, I have yeah. sympathy for the Gnabry situation. There were some mitigating factors there, injury and so on. But yeah, yeah that that could be a bad one. And he has, I mean, he has just signed a new contract. He signed one last year. Yeah. So that, mm-hmm. that is positive for us. Yes. And I think he's Leverage. he's on the books until 24, 25. So we, we have him until at least then to, to effectively convince him that this is the right place for him. So there is there is time, but it is running out very quickly. Um, I want to get, throw to the chat box and get some questions uh, to yourself, Elliot. So let's mm-hmm. start off with Iron Cub, who says, we've been linked to many creative midfield options. Who do you want us to sign? And who do you think we will sign? I feel like this conversation has sort of now narrowed to Madison versus Awar. Mm. I, I love you. I love I love Buendia. I think that was a miss personally. Oh, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm sad about it. But you know, yeah. so be it. Um, I think we had all our eggs in the Odegaard basket, and that basket sort of the hole ripped in it pretty quickly. Um, I, I, so here's the hard thing: Madison's a very, 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 very good player, and if he's 60 million pounds. I think it's right on the razor's edge because if you look at his numbers and you look at his output, he's been playing in a good attacking team and he's been very good. He hasn't been elite, but he's been very good. And mm-hmm. then you look at Awar, whose numbers are all super elite, but they're in league on, but he could be 25 million. So it's really tough. Do you? This is where you say, is Premier League experience in a very good player worth 35 million pounds more than league on experience in an elite player and I don't know the answer. I, if someone wants to tell me Madison's the right way to go there, I can't say I strongly disagree. I think I lean OR, but I don't think either person is wrong necessarily. But what no. I would say is, I think seven goals, four assists, six goals, five assists, like that's probably what you're going to get from Madison. He's turning 25. We kind of know who he is. And I just, I would say at a 35 million delta in price, I'd probably roll the dice on the league on player, but I understand if that's not how other people see it. And I, I don't think, I don't think that's the wrong answer. I just, that's not my answer per- particularly. I like this question from Matt G who says, are Arsenal going to replace Aaron Ramsey with Aaron Ramsey? Is there- <laughs> Do you see this? Cause this, I mean, just there was a report that came out today saying that he's basically his ambition is now solidly to try and return and that there is a possibly a deal to be done there. 
I mean, I I adore Aaron Ramsey, and I think I think he's underrated because getting that kind of goal contribution and, and end product from central midfield from someone who can run one end of the pitch and make a, a saving tackle in your box, and the other end of the pitch and score the winning goal, like that's that's a quality that's undervalued. I think his injury history, his wages, and his age mean it's not the time for us, unfortunately. Um, yeah. He's so expensive. He's got such a bad injury track record. I just think we need to be moving on from him. I mean, there are some people that would say, if you want Aaron Ramsey, just give Joe Willick a chance. I would I argue that Joe Willick does some of the Aaron Ramsey stuff around the box, but in terms of passing and covering back defensively, he's a shadow of the other player. So I, I don't think they're as analogous as people might say. But yeah, I, I love Aaron Ramsey, and I would I would have very easy time rooting for him in an Arsenal shirt, but I don't think it's the right move for the club. King Sites uh, says, do you rate Matthias Pereira 11 goals for West Brom and a very good on-the-ball kind of player? He impressed me when we played him. I, I don't, I haven't looked at him that closely. I know mm. some people really like him. Um, you know, the problem for me is like, I'm I'm not a scout, right? Like, I don't watch every game of every team and every player. Like, if we're linked to someone, I'll check them out. There's some teams I like to watch. So I can't pretend I know Pereira that well. I just, when we when we played him, I thought he looked good. I don't know if he's at our level. I, I would be talking out of my rear end. So, which, which to be fair, is no different from any other time. So, you know. I mean, you're on the right podcast. So, <laughs> it's uh, actually Jeff, the more camera friendly side of me, to be honest. Yeah, what, when you're sleeping? Is that? <laughs> yes. I mean, Je- Jeff says, Tom, stay awake. Honestly, I, the amount of times, because my computer's angled this way, when I'm reading the chat trying to look for the next question, <laughs> it looks like I am falling asleep and not listening to what you're saying. Yeah, I, I gotta figure I out how you set up your camera because because mine's here and then my screen's there and um, you know I'm always looking away from it. It's uh, yeah, I mean it's just it's just on top of my laptop. It's just <laughs> no, you know what? Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, no. uh, Anne says, uh, Elliot, what are your views on our goalkeeping situation? I'm super confused by it. I mean, last summer we opted to keep Leno and sell Emmy Martinez, which I didn't have a problem with. Um, I think Leno was probably underrated by our fans. Like, okay, he's not the best with the ball at his feet. He has saved our ass a lot. He's made some huge saves. Like, let's put it this way. Goalkeeper isn't a liability, which is a nice mm. change of pace at Arsenal. You know, I lived through the Almunia years. I don't want to go through that again. <laughs> but like last summer we had this Runnerson thing, which was weird, you know, linked with the Brentford keeper, now there's the Ramsdale link. The Onana link seems to make sense to me because he's dirt cheap. His price has dropped because of, you know, a, a PED ban and and some other things and the, the club being skint. But like, I don't, I don't know that we have to do anything about Leno right now, but he's basically talking up not, not planning to have a future at Arsenal. So it's gotten really murky and it's a position I think we didn't need as a headache this summer. I would like to see us go get Onana, let Leno start the season mm-hmm. for us, have Onana be the, the future guy. He seems pretty darn good at a cut rate fee and just see what happens there. I mean, the Ramsdale links make no sense to me at all. So I'm just, no. I'm, I'm refusing to engage with them is, is where I'm at. Uh, Shiro says, are we pressuring ourselves too much with the thought of Saliba has to start now because he has to, I think neither White or Gabriel will play all the games and will give him enough game time. Sure. And again, like what you're really saying there is that you're okay adding Ben White to that group to improve it. Mm. And that's fine. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it's just that that's not a thing I'm ready to say is worth 50 million pounds, right? So I'd be willing to say, all right, Saliba comes in, he gets some games, Holding gets some games, because we know Holding can't, it's not like Holding can't play. You know, can he play against the weaker teams? Can he play, you know, he can play. I actually think sometimes he's better in the bigger games where he can defend deeper, right? Instead of having to stride out. So you use Gabriel, Marie as a rotational option, and 
and you use Saliba and holding his rotational option and you spend the 50 million elsewhere. If we add Ben White to that, sure, yeah. it strengthens us. I just don't think it strengthens us to the amount that we're paying. I mean, if you look at Liverpool, Liverpool went through last season at times playing midfielders at defense. I mean, they had no defense for months at a time. Not, not like the level we currently have. Like yeah. literally no defenders. They still finish top four because their attack is extremely effective. I'm not saying defense doesn't matter. And if you want to win titles, you need an elite set of center backs. And Liverpool proved that with Van Dijk. But I do think that you can have a functional center back core and strengthen in other places and take that first step up that we need to take right now. So that that's what I would do. Final couple of questions before sure, we yeah. wrap up. Uh, this is a nice one from Stephen. Takes us away from from the chaos of it. Elliot says, uh, "Sorry, Stephen says, Elliot, what MLS team would be a good feeder club for Arsenal?" Gosh, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but I don't really watch MLS, and, and, and it, 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 it's so bad. I know that's terrible. It's like it's our domestic. No, league, it's lazy like, of Stephen to assume that any North American just ask me what I think of baseball. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, and, and I mean like. If I had to guess, I'd say probably like Atlanta United because I know they're really good and they've got some exciting young players. The LA teams always seem to have good talent. I mean, you could say Denver because you know they have the link to KSC, right? Um, sure. uh, I guess they're Colorado. Colorado but, Rapids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what I would say is just uh, for me, because I put so much time into watching Arsenal, keeping up with Arsenal, like transfer rumors and you know doing shows about Arsenal and, and watching European football... I just, I haven't, I have not had the time. Like if I said to my wife, Hey, I'm going to get really into the MLS now. Are I, you that, kidding? I, I would, you know, I'd have more time because I wouldn't have a wife and family. So that's, that's really what there we're There you go. I, let me, let me tweak it then because it's something we actually talked about on this morning's 8am show. Um, we talked about the need for a feeder club because with the situation of Brexit, meaning that Arsenal can no longer sign players between the ages of 16 and 18 from the continent. Um, and you've got teams like City that have got the City Football Group. You've got teams like Leicester. You've got teams like Brighton that have a Belgian club that's linked to them as well so that they can basically buy players at that club. They develop at that club and then when they're of age, they then get brought over to those clubs. Is it something that you feel that Arsenal are maybe have been a little bit slow to react to and, and get a partnership with a club? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways it works, right? Like the Red Bull group have an interesting way. City, yeah. as you mentioned, Real Madrid have Tottenham Hotspur, which is, you know... <laughs> Liverpool have Southampton, so yeah. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, could we use Colorado in that way? Maybe. I mean, like, I don't think KSC is just going to go out and buy another club to use it as a feeder club. I mean, you'd first have to know what's going on with our club and what's going yeah. on in the world of football. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it is an interesting idea. I definitely think we could use the loan market more effectively. I mean, Chelsea have been really the the clearest exemplars of how you can manipulate yeah. the loan market to your to your benefit. But... I think the problem with the feeder club idea is simply that you need to have another club. We do in Colorado. That could be the one we use, but I, I don't think it's realistic. Um, th let's put it this way. There are easier ways for us to improve on our terrible, terrible transfer business than having to have a feeder club. We could just, you know, get smarter. That would help. Yeah, it would help. I think smarts and savviness and street smarts, specifically in the market, is something Arsenal have kind of lacked yeah. of late. Uh, last question. Sure. Um, which is, <laughs> it's a little bit uh, straight to the point from Zahir. We say, his opinion on Arteta, and do you think he is clueless or is there some method in his thinking? I think it's easy to forget that Mikel Arteta is in his first job. Mm. Like, I try to think about the first job I had, and I remember being fired from it. That's for sure, sacked, right? Like, I mean... It, Some people would say he should have been. And well, should he have been appointed uh, being at the well, first job anyway? 
<laughs> those are all fair questions too. But I, yeah. I think the thing that's tough, right, is if Mikel Arteta stepped into a system that was really structured, a strong experienced director of football, engaged ownership, intelligent analytics department, a scouting network that was, you know, really reliable and trustworthy. And they came in, they said, look, you just have to be the coach. We're going to put you in this really effective, nurturing environment. Show us what you can do on the pitch with your tactics and we'll deliver for you behind the scenes. That could work. But within six months of having the job, he has a pandemic layoff. He is dealing with Project Restart. He doesn't have time to work with the players. The team is in free fall. And then, oh, by the way, the director of football is sacked and the, the head scout is gone and we're firing all the scouts. And now you're the manager. Be the manager too. Because, you know, you got so much experience. Now we'll throw you in even deeper, hotter water. And he's going to make mistakes. Like, what do we expect when we give young players a chance? They're going to make some mistakes. A first-time coach who's been appointed manager of one of the biggest clubs in world football, which we still are, by the way, is, is going to make mistakes. And so I think we saw towards the tail end of the season. Tactically, he's a guy with some really interesting ideas. I think he really just needs to narrow in on the ones that he wants to be our primary style. I still think the fact that we don't have a, a clear primary style that he wants the players to, to take on has been hard for the players and hard for the team. I think once he does that, we will, we will see this improvement be more sustainable and more rigid. But then the issue, the area where I'm concerned about Mikel is is you know is he struggling with the man management side of it with the dealing with different egos is he struggling with balancing all the responsibilities i mean arson wenger whether you loved him or you hated him whether you loved him at first then hated him at the end whatever your trajectory was with arson wenger he was a single point of failure he took all the pressure off the cronkies and gazitas he did it all and he had you know decades of experience to get to that point yeah we're now sort of asking arteta to do something similar in his first job and so while Arteta has not been someone that I've been super thrilled about, I can see some of the positives. I see some of the negatives. My biggest fear is just that we've put him in a situation that's too challenging for a first-time manager and that some of the responsibilities might be a little too big for him at this stage of his career. I agree. And I think that it took me a long time to get over the the raw necessity to back Arsenal's manager. And I feel like I, it's something I struggle with a lot. And I, I think that the listeners will concur um, is that there is a raw sense about my support for the club, which is whoever's in charge, I feel like I have to vehemently back that guy. And it's sometimes maybe I don't necessarily see the vices early enough to make. Now, I do believe, despite all my support, that he probably should have gone after we got eliminated from the Europa League. And that was probably the right time um, for any other club, I feel, would have made that decision at that time. And Arsenal, obviously, a case in point. But next season, it's, it's very much a case for me of it's pressure from day one. It's you, If we are five losses from 10 in the first 10 games, that's not sustainable for what our targets are. And probably means we have to let him go. So to finish off the show on a nice cheery point, at what, at what point is kind of your cut the cord if it hasn't obviously happened already? Yeah, I mean, that's really tricky because all we have essentially is the Premier League next season. So, mm. you know, if you get off to a bad start, you don't have midweek games to reassure you that things aren't a total mess. I would say, you know, you probably go till roughly Christmas or thereabout um, because what you don't want is you probably don't want him around for another transfer window if it's gone really, really bad. At that point, you you really do need to start to rethink it. I, I think what I would say is, if Arteta's going to go, I would just have Adu go as well. I don't know yeah. if he adds enough value to stay on for the next manager. I'd try to bring in 
I mean, if you said to me I could replace one or the other, Arteta or Adu, and I could have a super elite guy replace one or the other, I'd probably get the super elite director of football. I think that helps yeah. us more right now. Mm -hmm. um, but there would be other things too, right? Like if we're if we're in October and he's still, you know, giving a lot of minutes to like a Willian and Martinelli hasn't started a game and, you know, yeah. like that's there, there'd be certain things where I'd say, all right, he's, he's not seeing the forest through the trees. And just to your point about support, I, I like to get really analytical and, and critique things, mm. but that doesn't mean you're not a supporter. It doesn't mean you're not supporting. Like, I want Arteta to succeed. I want every player to succeed. When Willian runs out on the pitch, even yeah. though I don't like that he's playing, I want him to score a hat trick. Like you can root as hard as you can for the club and support the club with every last breath you have, but be willing to critique the things that you rightly think are going wrong. So I, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to support. We all no. want Arsenal to be great again. And I think for some people, they just don't want to moan and that's totally fine. And for some people, the moaning is cathartic. So I don't think there's a wrong <laughs> way to do it. We're all pulling for Arsenal when they're on the pitch, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I feel, yeah, I mean, the podcast in general, yours, mine, everyone else's ask blogs, um, loads that we you should go follow the Highbury squads and uh, mm -hmm. Jess's. And um, I think oh, there's so many now, you're going to forgetting. I'm sorry if Gunners I leave yours pod, out. Yeah. Gunas Pods, uh, Burkhart Wonderland, same old yeah, Arsenal, oh, gosh, all yeah. of these guys. Um, but primarily Arsenal Vision Podcast. Primarily yes, that one. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and, and yours, of course. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Um, all of those, I feel, are therapy sessions at the end yeah. of the day for, for most of us. And, and we do them because I think they are therapy sessions. So, But thank you ever so much, Elliot, for taking your time uh, this, blast, this yeah. morning uh, for yourself and this afternoon for us and uh, this evening for those who are listening in the East. But much appreciate all your time. And tell people, I know you have told people several times what your podcast is but tell them again where can they find you? i'll never get sick of telling you to uh to please listen to the arsenal vision podcast you can find it on twitter at arsenal v podcast you can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com and find out everything there is to know there and we're having a fan get together in las vegas in august so for anyone who's uh u.s based or can make it to the u.s august 20 to 22nd at the win there's gonna be a huge uh fan event live pods in studio there'll be broadcasters there and stuff so uh that's the next big thing we're working on that's amazing. And I look forward to tuning in for that. Thank you. Please you can also it. find Please Elliot on his own Twitter at Yankee Gunner. So make sure you go give him a follow and us if you'd be so kind at the Google Talk TV. You can give us a subscription if you would like and a like too to let us know you've enjoyed the show. I will not finish the show as quickly as Elliot likes to introduce his. I will just say thank you ever so much for listening. We'll be back again a little bit later this evening. I'll be joined by three more people to talk about, guess what, transfers, <laughs> um, as we always like to do on a Tuesday on our Arsenal Transfer Podcast. But it's been a pleasure. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates are out and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.